Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 261. You can teach people how to make coffee, but you can't teach the hospitality gene. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by World Barista Champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests. That's plural, Andrew and Claire Bowen. Tell me you two are feeling unstoppable today. Oh, yeah, we're feeling uh, caffeinated unstoppable from, uh, <laughs> yes. from Oxfordshire in the UK. <laughs> How you doing, Claire? Yeah, very good, because we're the coffeepreneurs, so coffee makes us unstoppable. Yes, and if you guys love British accents, we got about one hour of it coming at you today, so I can't wait to dive in. Uh, Andrew and Claire Bowen opened their first coffee shop in 2007 after leaving senior roles in retail and healthcare. Within 18 months, they both had opened three outlets and had over 1 million pounds in turnover. In 2011, they developed their own independent format, which they continue to run. They support coffee shop owners worldwide as founders at the Cafe Success Hub, and together they authored The Daily Grind, How to Open and Run a Coffee Shop That Makes Money. So obviously, we're just uh, giving people, you know, we're scratching the surface. You've accomplished so much. I can't wait to dive into your stories. But before we do that let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us today well the thing that uh, we go by is there's nothing either good nor bad but thinking makes it so mm, neither Which good or bad but thinking makes it so i have a feeling i know where you're going with this dive into that quote and then tell well, us what it means. It's, it's all about whatever happens to you in life you know you can either look at it as being something bad or something good Mm. Uh, it's the old story about the guy that uh, has his horses stolen and um, two days later the horses come back with uh, another another 10 horses in tow. Yeah. And, you know, what I can't help but think of is just having a mentality of gratitude um, yeah. and being thankful for what you do have and what you don't have. And always just be, you know, looking to just, you know, make your life. I don't know a little bit better just by showing up every day and uh, having that optimism there to push you along the way. Awesome stuff. Um, do you want to speak to that at all, Claire? No, no. We 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 both decided on that one. That was that's our our uh, motto. I love it. And I honestly, I gotta be honest. Like, I could really use that right now. Like, uh, trying to get your career started in this industry, it takes a lot of time, a lot of dedication. Uh, sometimes you have multiple projects going on just to stay afloat. And with Restaurant Unstoppable and taking on a new role at a restaurant in my own community, like it's it's frustrating. Sometimes you feel like you lose control, but you gotta just think about what you do have, the opportunities you do have. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people that's resonating with them today. So uh, let's. Let's find out more about you guys. Um, tell us about how you got into the industry, why you got into into the industry, and how you kind of uh, fast tracked to where you are today. 
<laughs> well, it all started back in um, in 2007, as you said. Um, I was a midwife and, and Andrew worked in retail, but he worked in Europe. So uh, as a family, we never saw him. We, he came home on at eight o'clock on a Friday evening and disappeared at four o'clock on a Monday morning. <laughs> and uh, we sort of came to the conclusion that we didn't like it anymore. And um, we both had a midlife crisis and we both jumped on the same day from our, our jobs and started up in business on our own. Oh, man, I got to put a quick break in here real because I think it's kind of funny how you never saw your husband. So you decided to open a cafe. <laughs> uh, but that just goes to show that if you do things right, you can't have a great quality of life. And that's what we're going to learn from you today. So uh, talk to us about how, uh, you know, you chose to do what you do, the the first restaurant you opened and uh, kind of take us on that journey for the next like 10 minutes. Well, Andrew worked in London uh, a couple of years before he jumped and uh, he had lots of meetings in coffee shops that were in London and it was all centred in London and it hadn't actually come out to the rest of the UK. Uh, and he liked the atmosphere, he he liked the people and they were like us. So that when we decided to jump and go into business together, we both agreed that coffee was the way forward. Mm. So there was a certain level of passion that he had for the industry by being surrounded by it with his travels? Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, I think I was one of the first uh, users of the Coffis. Okay. So, um, what is uh, that? I'm not familiar. Oh, well, when, well, uh, a coffee shop office. Oh, okay. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, I, um, I, I basically did my business through Starbucks and, uh, Nero and, and Coffee Republic over here. So, um, because I was sort of mobile in London. Yeah. And, um, it was just a great place. And I just loved, you know, I loved I loved working from there because it was just a great vibe. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, just trying to have a more, I don't know, anchored lifestyle where you're in one spot was part of the, the you know, uh, allure to opening the coffee shop. But what else did it for you? Why else did you feel like you needed to open a coffee shop? Well, we look, we look for a business that we could, um, we both had affinity with, really. So I, from retail my retail background and Claire's sort of people background, um, the two things worked really well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, the surprise we had, I suppose I had, was that um, I came from retail, not hospitality. So although there's a lot of similarities, there's a lot of differences as well. So the biggest, one of the biggest learning curves we had was, you know, finding that hospitality gene in us. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, the, we love coffee. Uh, we've always loved coffee. We've always been passionate about coffee. And um, a coffee bar is is somewhere that has, has taken over as the as you know as the as you know the Starbucks called it the third place. But yeah, it, you know it, it is. It's just and it, it was the right at the beginning of that we saw that and we thought well that, this is something we could really really enjoy and and get stuck into. And um, you know that's what that's what made us made us make the choice at the time. Awesome. So. Four years is what it took you to go from uh, your first location to, uh, was it three locations and doing pretty well. Uh, that's a kind of a short amount of time to expand to three locations. Take us through uh, what it was like opening the first location and what the learning curve was like. Yeah, it was it was about just over 18 months it took us from, from the first. We opened the first one in, in January. Okay. Oh uh, seven, um, and we took over an existing business. Oh wow! So um, a year so, in a half. Wow, that's yeah, even yeah. more impressive. So, uh, what was that first takeover like? Uh, very interesting. <laughs> having, having had Andrew uh, out of the country most of the time and being no further than six foot away from him twenty four seven was yeah. very interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, we very quickly by April that year we'd taken over our second bar. 
uh, it was um, an existing bar again. We took that over, and November the following year, we opened a brand new one. Wow! And uh, take us through some of like the the biggest like I don't know. There, there's so many. There's a learning curve there. I'm sure like. What was different from opening that first location to the second location? Just take us through that transition. Well, the first location, we were both there all the time. Yeah. Uh, and by the time we went to the second location, um, we couldn't be in two places at the same time. Mm. Uh, and that was a big learning curve because we found that we had to delegate uh, responsibilities to people mm-hmm. and, and make sure we had the right team on board that would take that responsibility uh, and run with it. So was there anything that you did differently to to make that uh, project of delegation easier? Yeah, well, we had to um, appoint managers, really. Whereas previously, when we when we took it over, when we took over the first bar, it was an existing bar, and um, but it was trading poorly. So when we when we took it over, we pretty much doubled the sales within within about six weeks, which gave us a sort of confidence to move on. But of course. When we took over the second place, um, basically we were offered the second place because you know we took that opportunity because we could see that one need, that one could benefit from our experience as well. Um, but obviously, you know, you got to then because you're not there, you've really got to ensure that the the routines and processes are totally embedded, mm. um, and people can think for themselves, and the manager's got the responsibility to make decisions. And you know, I'm I probably. Uh, spent a year dealing with that because I didn't give them that authority. I didn't give that responsibility straight away. And in truth, I didn't recruit the right people straight away. Um, Try to just make people up from where they were. And they what were. was, how did you learn? Tell me, there's got to be a story in there someplace where you learned the value of good people. So was there a bad experience you had? And take us through that bad experience. Well, yeah, I remember my first, our first Christmas, we, uh, <laughs> we thought, you know, we had a couple of couple of sisters who wanted to go home for Christmas, um, and we felt very sorry for them. So we said yes. Oh, okay. uh, I remember this from the book. Yeah, keep yeah. going. And uh, and then um, we uh, somebody uh, was ill, um, and uh, had a car crash. Some, and then on Christmas Eve, somebody had a car crash. Oh, so man. and there was uh, basically, I think there was six of us in the shop working in the shop. So two were away, and two were. And two were inconvenient. So, so that leaves two. Yeah. So oh, two. Well, including me. You know, that was <laughs> two, me and one other. Um, so we managed to scrape a few. You know, and Christmas was really busy for us. So um, yeah. Uh, Boxing Day. We opened on Boxing Day, and the the crowds arrived. And I remember that um, New Year's Day, the day after New Year's Day, uh, when we were, you know, we just about survived. Um, I had a health inspector walk through the door. Oh my goodness! So, um, Ugh, when it rains, it pours. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, we 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 got away with it, fortunately. <laughs> but uh, it was just, you know, it probably put put ten years on me, um, and it sort of taught me a really good lesson. Really, that you know, you have got to a little be a little bit more um, sort of uh, structured and organised. And I think we we didn't. Um, uh, set people's expectations enough farther on down we were new to it they obviously knew it was busy at christmas they obviously wanted time off at christmas mm-hmm. 
And if we, what we do now, we, you know, we, we try and be as fair as possible, try and get as many people off as, as possible over the Christmas period. Um, but we try and we're fair with everybody. We don't allow holidays over Christmas, not, you know, not sort of two weeks away. Yeah. And um, just having some clear ground rules for that um, allows you to manage that in a much simpler, uh, nicer way. Because, you know, unfortunately, the girl had a, a car crash, but, you know, it was... You know, I don't think it was... I think she could have come back a little bit sooner. <laughs> yeah. Uh... yeah. And, and the girl with the cold probably could have come back a little bit sooner as well. But they were they were all fighting fit then, uh, you know, the, the t- two weeks later, 14 days, when, when the when the festivity... Did, of, 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 and they all come back nice and refreshed, mm-hmm. which was good for them, but not good for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that just goes to show the, the value of having... Um, what's the word? Not protocols, but just basic rules uh, and policies. I think that's the word. Policies written down and committed to and clearly communicated. And I think sometimes so much of those policies are just so word of mouth and hearsay that nobody takes it seriously. But it's the, the power of writing these things down and putting it in an operations manual and getting your, your, your team to sign off on it so there's accountability there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's probably what your process looks like now. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I think the the, the um, when you come from a big organisation uh, uh, like we both did, you take a lot of things for granted. And when you when you run a smaller business, you think, well, actually, you don't really need these because actually, you, part of the reason you've done you've gone into an independent business is that you you don't want all that structure and process and rules and regulations. Um, and a lot of people get caught out with that because you know. Um, if you don't have a certain degree of that, I sort of describe the box, you know, you draw on a piece of paper a box and then if you don't have any rules, that box turns into a squiggly mass, into a, almost an amoeba by that because the, the walls of the box yeah. are broken, you know, within, yeah. within days. Absolutely. So I'm curious, uh, you, you got to the point where you have three uh, locations, three units going really well. Um what was it like when you you know you had that third location open? Uh, how did the 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 process of evolving ever stop for you? Um, well, we 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 were running a franchise at the time, um, and um, you know we were doing really well mm-hmm. uh, with it. The franchise was working really well for us, um, but unfortunately, the franchisor uh, went into administration. Okay. So it left us um, high and dry, really, um, because not only did we not have the support of a franchisor anymore, okay. um, the way the leases are structured on our businesses, um, we had to, we were effectively without a legal agreement with our, with our landlord because the leases effectively were, were null and void. Yeah. We were subtenants. Uh, effect, uh, so we didn't have our own lease on the business. We were subtenants of the franchisor, and it left us really exposed. So, how did you handle that situation? Well, um, it was all about our own personal reputation. Luckily, with our landlords, because we had run a sensible business and we had made friends with them. Really, although they weren't our direct um, landlord, uh, we occupied the building, mm-hmm. and I made it my point. Made it. Made it. Uh, uh, you know my priority to to get to know them mm. when when that happened and we had no idea it was going to happen you know we we already had some sort of relationship with them um 
So we had to go back to you know square one and renegotiate leases and all the costs that go with that. Did you did you have to rebrand? Or is it the same rest? rest? No, no, we we rebranded. We were very very lucky with our landlords that um, they were willing to talk to us they knew us we paid our bills on time mm. and we were never in debt and uh, after we'd been occupying for a little while they realized that we were a good good bet uh, so they were willing to um to renegotiate with us and renegotiate the leases which was wonderful because we do know an awful lot of people in our situation who lost their livelihoods overnight yeah, absolutely. And I think that I can't help but think about Danny Meyer's words with a enlightened hospitality where it starts with your inner guests, you know, your staff and your guests, then your uh, purveyors. And I think somewhere in there it comes to your uh, landlord or I don't know if landlord specifically is in that list of people you have to show hospitality to. Yeah. But I mean, if you want to be successful in this industry, you, you've really it's all about people it's about relationships in every relationship you touch and that's just yeah. a, a beautiful example of uh you you know what can happen if you are just a good person and you have that uh what's the word i'm looking for um oh man uh uh dignity maybe is that the word or yeah, just rapport yeah. in uh you uh, know rapport, i think is it? yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's the fact that we you know we we made them welcome sometimes the landlord can be uh, cast as a bit of a, you know, a, 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 not a hero, a, a, a devil almost, in, in, because they're always asking you for stuff, and they, you know they come in and inspect your building and all that malarkey. But um, it, we we built up a relationship with uh, with them, and, and also with our suppliers as well. We didn't have one supplier that was really really bad with us when it all happened. Um, in fact, they put the prices up and made us go cash on delivery. Um, but we soon stopped dealing with them. I, I think if you got it, if the, the, the key to our, us, we we made contact with a, a person in each mm. um, uh, organization, and uh, you know I spoke to them every month, and, and and I paid the bills and everything else. And so when when this all happened, I immediately got on the phone, phoned every company that supplied us, explained what had happened, and that we were still good. And as I said, one supplier went cash on delivery the rest carried on with our six eight weeks credit oh wow exactly the same we were very lucky but i think that we made our own luck there yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent. and uh let's fast forward uh to the point where you decided that you got this down pretty good like you've learned a lot uh and now you want to start helping other people with what you learned take us through that transitional moment well because we um we rebranded and started our own business java and co um Although we'd, we'd run the business for a while, but we, you know, suddenly running independent is a different kettle of fish. Oh, yeah. It was our own, it was completely our own idea, our own sort of um, why, um, our own branding and, you know, coffee and cakes and everything. Everything was our decision. So it, it had, it was, it, we lost that brand comfort. And we actually thought that by opening independent, because, you know, we thought, our, well, and we knew that the independent we were operating was better. Our cakes were fresher, or our, you know, our service was better, and everything was better because you know it's it's an independent. But the brand comfort that we missed through having that franchise name over the door, mm -hmm. um, you know, didn't uh, help us. Um, so we had to work really hard, a lot harder than I imagined we'd have to. You know, because we we made we didn't made so many improvements when we when we launched Jarbrunco, we thought, well, actually, people are going to love us. So let me uh, let me rewind a little bit. Uh, so you were operating three 
franchises yeah. and yeah. okay and then when the franchise pulled out you rebranded yeah. all of those locations to did, yeah. java yeah. and co yes it. okay thank you um yeah but so you know it was much harder than we ever imagined to get people to come through our doors as java and co for, for all intents and purposes it was a brand new business opening up in that unit mm-hmm. um you know our regulars knew us but anybody, you know, any passing trade would never have heard of the brand or anything. So it was much harder than I imagined to um, to get people over the threshold of a, a for the first time um, to an independent. I think that's what a lot of people ex- sort of are surprised about mm-hmm. um, that when they open their dream coffee shop um, because they don't share that dream um, enough with enough people. Um, not enough people come running through the door as quickly as they expect, and they're always a little bit surprised at how slow things are. Mm. Um, the great thing about an independent is that once, generally, once people make that sort of step across the threshold, um, because we give better service and you know our products are generally better, it's friendlier and it's nicer. Generally, you know we we hang on to customers much longer. Mm. Um, but it's that initial getting them over the threshold is a difficult thing. So we did loads of marketing. We, we, we you know, we, we got really, really, really serious about the Facebook page, the Twitter, the, we set up a VIP club where we collected names of, you know, email addresses and started sending them out offers and deals and communicating our story with them. We did, um, we did joint ventures with gyms and, we did. We, we started a, a charity. We did. We were the first uh, suspended coffee um, in the area. We did started doing suspended coffee. We were. I think we were the first in the south of England to start that. So all those sort of things mm-hmm. sort of gave us traction, gave us awareness in public's perception. Yeah, okay. unique selling oh. propositions, things that yeah. separate you from the competition. Got it. Uh, then, go ahead. And you know, and then suddenly, you know, the business started sort of picking up and doing really, really well. And I just want to point out one thing that just made me light up inside something that you said is that it was hard to get people in the door the first time. So what what were you doing that uh, once they got in the door made them coming back? It, where you know what things can we do to get well, you know once we get those people in our do- door for the first time to make sure they come back? Because it sounds well, like it was easy for you once they, they made that initial commitment. Yeah, well, once you once once you get them in, I think you get. I, I I think you've got three three key visits. The first visit is the welcome visit. It's it's almost like a wooing uh, in a relationship. Um, the first visit is a surprise, and they're a bit confused. They don't know where to stand and where to pick their coffee up and out of order. Um, uh, the second time, you know, if they like it, then they'll come back a second time. Um, if the service they get the second time is as consistent and as good as the first time, I think you get a tick. And then finally, you've got the third visit. And if, again, on the third visit, it's consistent and friendly, I think you've probably got them for life. But the the issue, I think, for an independent is that consistency. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, Danny, uh, not Danny Meyer. Um, Michael Gerber. Uh, Michael Gerber, yeah, talks about the hairdresser. Yeah, I was hoping you'd go into that example. And I yeah. think um, sometimes it's not good enough just to deliver good service and or even great service. Uh, even great service delivered inconsistently can have a negative impact. So why don't you dive into why consistency in that great service is so important? Well, it, it, you know, people like to know what they're going to get. Yes. Um, and it's... It's still, um, you know, it's a treat. 
you you want to be able to come to a coffee shop and have a fantastic experience. You want a quality coffee, but you want the same tasting coffee as you had yesterday or the day before or last week. Um, and if you don't get that, then, you know, it. You know that's, that's 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 why Coke and Pepsi do so well. Is it? That's why when you go abroad, you know, to a strange country, um, you'll you'll drink Coke off the menu. Is because you you know you know what you're going to get. Exactly. Uh, if you can't if you can't provide that as an independent, and, and one of the traps that people fall into is because they're independent and they think it's uh, it's cool to be have sort of strong-minded baristas with that cult of barista. You know, some barista. Monday's Brister might make the drink differently to Tuesday's Brister because, you know, they think they should have, you know, more grams of coffee in it and slightly different textured milk. Um, and, and it's a recipe for, recipe for disaster. Absolutely. And I love the example that uh, Michael Gerber uses in the book, getting his haircut. Uh, mm. Like the first time he goes in, he gets amazing service. Uh, I think, was it coffee? Like like bottomless coffee yeah and yeah. then the second time he went in he got amazing service the haircut was amazing too but this time he got wine uh and this the third time he went in he got coffee but it wasn't bottomless so <laughs> like every time he went the 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 end product the result the beautiful haircut and the good service was there but he didn't ever knew what he was going to expect when he went in and uh just because he couldn't anticipate the experience uh he ended up not going um and i think that really paints out in your examples really paint the picture of why consistency is so important and uh one of you please tell me what's the best thing we can do in our restaurant to ensure that consistency well i think the first thing you must do is train mm. and train well and train consistently. Um, I mean, we had three shops. So we had one barista who was our senior barista, and he trained everyone in the other shops mm. so that everyone did everything exactly the same way uh, and to the same standard and the same quality. And, and that was the key to us. That's huge. Consistent training um and either have one person responsible for that but even i would say that's dangerous because what happens when this one person you know decides to move on so were you documenting this training yes definitely we had we documented everything all our all our recipes and everything are are, are documented and put uh, in a manual so that everyone knows the exact recipe for every drink every food item um, everything. Yeah. In fact, one of the first things we did before we let him loose training was for him to write the manual for the training. Awesome. Smart move. So when he, when, um, you know, when he moved on, um, we, you know, we had that, uh, facility still there, which lived, lived after him. Yeah. And, uh, man, this is great advice. Uh, and I really want to dive into your book and kind of where you are now, because I feel like, uh, you know, you take, you, you got this incredible experience over the past, uh, can't do mental math. Uh, eight, nine years you've been in the industry now and you put it all into this book where you basically share your journey and everything you've learned to, to run and operate a successful coffee shop. So, um, let's kind of start pulling some examples from this book. Some of the, I mean, you, you give, uh, tons of, of great advice and you have a formula for a restaurant or a coffee shop success. So uh, out of all those different uh, parts of the equation for coffee shop success, pull out the single most important part of that equation that you think uh, you want to make sure people, you know, take away from reading the, the book, which again is the daily grind. Yeah. Well, the number one 
well, there's probably there's 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 two there's, there's two or three really. You can't you can't um, but they need to need to yeah. go line. But and if you don't get these these right, then you know either one of them has got the capacity yeah. to derail you. Ultimately, so, every piece of the equation is critical. You need to have all those pieces of the formula there. I get that, uh, but if there's just two pieces of the formula that you think are overlooked and uh, that you want to make sure my listeners say go home really paying attention in their own business, what would they be? Yeah, well, it's, it's the first thing is you've got to get your why right. So we talk about the why as they're in, you know, why you want get understand what you want to do, what is your passion and make sure that the, the, the business that you're launching is your coffee shop is in line with your passion. So if you've got a passion for, coffee or a passion for baking or a passion for serving customers or a passion for music those things reflected in your in your coffee shop um but you know there is no point in opening a coffee shop that uh fulfills your passion that is not in the right location mm. so the you know the, the location really is the is the killer uh for so- everything Let's dive back, and I, we'll we'll definitely pull back the layers on the location. But let's really pull back more of the layers on the why and why why is so important. Um, can you can you you know uh, elaborate on that for us a little bit more? Well, I think you've just got to get the clarity in your own mind because once you've got that clarity of why you want to do it, what the uh, the business is going to be, what the passion and the strength of the business is going to be what are the things that you you want to achieve um once you've got those clear in your mind it's so much easier to make every other decision around the business mm. and it all it almost becomes a litmus test so you know if you um have got a you know if you really want to in share your passion for, for baking or for if you've got a real passion for music and putting on music events or something then you know you know you need to you need the whole business then can be around that mm-hmm. and it makes it so much easier for you and you end up doing something you enjoy absolutely rather than end up doing starting as starting as wanting to open a general coffee shop and then realizing that actually to make money you've got to um you know open till midnight and sell beer yeah um, <laughs> and then you know you suddenly run in a pub or a bar rather than a cafe yeah so you know, it's understanding those things. And so many people say to me, and I think the holy grail of coffee shops is that sort of 24-7 chameleon offer that starts as a, a coffee shop and slowly morphs into a into a bar in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's really difficult to achieve that. There are a few operators that do it, but not many that do it very well um, because you end up alienating people at either end of the scale just by the look and feel of the place. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's better to be focused on being a great coffee shop or being a great bar. Absolutely. Um, and, and then when you, like you say, when you really focus on that clarity, I love that word clarity on, on, as to what it is you're doing, what it is you're trying to accomplish, what it is that is important to you and what it is you want to communicate to your guests, that becomes your personal brand. That clarity, that that why becomes your personal brand. And when your story is different or your emphasis is different, that's going to help you develop that unique selling proposition, that thing that will make people choose you over other cafes because there's a lot of cafes out there. And why do I want to spend my money with you? Because you offered this something special. And I think what I'm hearing from you is find that something special, make that your passion. That's what's going to give you the energy, the drive, the, just the, the stamina to show up every day and to, to deliver that message and not just sell coffee. 
No, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly that's exactly what you need to do because it it, it then sort of translates makes all the other decisions really easy, um, or or a lot easier because because you can choose the location based on your why. You can you know you can choose the decor based on your why. You can recruit based on your why. You can do the ranging based on it. You know the uh, the marketing can be done on it as well. So it's it you keep on going back to that all the time. Are you asking me? Sorry. No, no, no. I, oh. I, no, I say you keep on, in your mind when you're when you're working these things through, um, because you've got that real sort yeah, of clarity absolutely. and understanding. You can, you you know, everything hangs off that. Yeah, uh, and it, and it becomes so much simpler. Got it. Awesome. And uh, you're starting to talk about location and the importance of location. And in your book, uh, you list like all the different things that you need to consider when looking to open a, a shop uh, for that point alone. I think this book is worth picking up because there's just so many variables that you don't consider, especially if it's your first time out. So why don't you talk more about the, the significance of location? Well, I think the location chapter is is probably the biggest in the book mm-hmm. um, because we feel it's so important. Uh, because if you can get the the location right with your why and your and your mindset, uh, you're on your way. If you get the wrong location with too high a rent or uh, without the people that you want to come to your door in the vicinity, uh, you've got an uphill battle. So if you can get all the all the utilities and and the everything straight from the start you're on your way yeah and i think that's really important to point out is uh the location is more than just the physical where this spot is on the globe that's important but there's so many more subcategories that fall under location like the the actual facility can it support what you want to do um so want to talk about that at all yeah well i think often a coffee shop is one of the first businesses that people we find that people often open coffee shops when they're it's their first business first for foray into business themselves they're they're either coming there's often coming from other industries so they they sort of don't haven't got the experience so the book takes you through um all little things that you perhaps would never consider you know the shape and size how many floors you know if you're a seller are you on the sunny side of the street have you got outside seating um is you know is the bus stop on your side of the road um all those little things have an impact on how easy it is people to get to you because generally people don't go very far for a coffee shop um it's not they're generally not destination um locations they are neighborhood businesses where people will come to you um if they live close yeah and uh, by by not getting those things right and and, and the fact that you know you can you can take on a business and it hasn't got the right power coming in or the floor's not right or the, there's no electricity or the plumbing's in the wrong place. All those things can add massive cost exactly. um, to your plan. Um, so what looks like a, like a, like a cheap um, you know, rent will actually be an expensive capital outlay because you know, you've got to put a, a new floor down or you've got to change the power coming in, which can be really expensive or... You know, there's there's some other issue there, and or just uh, even storage. Does is there enough place for storage? Is there is it yeah. accessible for your purveyors to offload? Like these are all things that if you're a first time 
buyer or a you know owner like you just don't have the experience to project and protect yourself um even just like you have advice on lease agreements and certain things you need to do in your your agreements to protect yourself uh and that all go ties into the location the landlord yeah. and all the 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 relationships you're going to have with people like these are things that you cover in the book and i think that you know we could dive into is there anything that i just mentioned that you really want to like drive home well, I think the um, the important thing is to take good legal advice with it. Um, don't get your uh, best friend to look over the legal agreements. Um, you know, the, some of the best money we've ever spent has been um, legal advice in the setup. So don't do whatever you do. Do not skimp on that. Make sure that the agreements are um vetted mm-hmm. and properly otherwise you could lose your shirt yeah and i think that's Shouts. a really good point i think people think of the idea of uh you know having to hire somebody the expense of having to hire a professional an attorney to somebody to look over the agreements and i can't afford that that's not in my budget but you know what if you can't afford to do it right now what makes you think you're going to be able to afford to do it right a second time yeah. Uh, and that's the way the mentality like you, you need to consider all these upfront costs mm. um, and look at it as an investment to protect yourself in the long run. Uh, awesome stuff. Claire, do you want to add anything? No, I, I, I think you said I think also um, having um, a good accountant mm-hmm. and uh, when you first start up and taking advice of a good accountant who is actually works in, in, in the field that do you set yourself up as a limited company, a sole trader? I know it's different all over the world, but if you can set yourself up from the start correctly with the right accountant who can give you the right advice, um, and that accountant will, will come with you all the way through your, your working life. Mm, awesome. Um, so let's just get one more nugget from this book. I mean, there's so many incredible pieces of advice in the book, but if you want to just take one example from the book, something that you want to leave with my listeners before we move on, what would it be? It's hard. It's hard. There's so many great things. How do you choose? Sorry. Yeah. There's a problem with the, uh, problem with the internet then. Yeah. Um, it, it's got to be location, Eric. It's got to, you've got to get your location right. You've got to spend the time, uh, get your location right and get your why right as well. Those two things we said already, but those are the key. Mm-hmm. I know we keep on repeating them, but those are the key. Get your why and get your location right. Absolutely. I love it. Um, so I don't like go on to uh, the break without getting my guests to share a failure. Uh, you know, a time where you just fell hard on part of my language, your ass, uh, what you learned that from that, you know, that experience and how you're better now because of it. Well, I think we touched on it already when the, uh, when our world collapsed, when the franchise all went bust. Yeah. So how was that your failure? Well, we chose the wrong. We chose the wrong franchise, or I think um, we t- we thought we chose chosen the right one. If we'd have chosen a different one, we wouldn't have been in that situation. However, we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Well, the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, we we ignored advice when we took it because we liked the guys. Um, but you know, we did ignore advice from our our uh, lawyer, from our solicitor. Who what was the advice? Get specific. Well, Give us they, what was well, the situation. They're, they're, their balance sheet was really bad. Okay. Um, they were operating a business, but their balance sheet was really poor. Um, and we thought that they were on the up, but they were treading water and um, ultimately, you know, couldn't survive. Ultimately, they drowned. And um, I think had we have been um, a little bit more circumspect with that, 
um you know we would have saved ourselves a load of you know you know tomorrow's newspapers all you need i know with these things and you've got to take a chance and a choice and we did uh and we stand by that but you know i think that's you know that little bit of advice that my solicitor said to me when he did a search on the on the on the business um for us um you know we sort of brushed it aside because everything looked okay on the surface mm. and if you how do i say this if you could narrow it down, uh, aside from just not, it looks like you had the people talking to you. I mean, was there anything else that, aside from how they looked on the outside, and aside from the uh, gut feeling you got from these people that you liked them, is there anything else that uh, what that stood out to you about this company that made you choose them over others? Uh, yeah, because it was a smallish company. It was you know we both come from big corporate backgrounds, so we didn't want to work with the. You know, there were a number of options for us at the time. We could have gone with the biggest player over here, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we quite liked their family sort of ethos, and it was, you know, it ticked all our boxes, and that's why we went with them. And mm-hmm. the fact that we went, we, they were quite, they were on the up, and we thought yeah. we'd get in early and and go with them. Mm. Okay, I'm I'm asking because I feel like there's a I want to kind of highlight as many of the lures that we might see that might draw us to a bad situation. Mm. Um, so at the, I think the the lesson to take away from this is no matter how things look, no matter yes, there I mean I get there, there's a level of risk you have to take, and you're kind of uh you know whenever you take risk you can win big or you can lose, and that's kind of part of the the whole thing of what makes taking risk uh you know that's why it's called risk. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I think at the end of the day, we need to focus on the numbers. Uh, the numbers don't lie. The numbers will uh, tell us, you know, at, they're they're the core of what's really happening behind the scenes. Uh, so pay attention to those numbers. Don't ignore them. Uh, I think it's a, the big lesson to take away from this. That That's a really good point because um, part of the issue when you're – there's a lot of people that – there's a lot of coffee shops and a lot of cafes for sale. Um, and it's very difficult to get the true picture of those small independent businesses for a, for a myriad of different reasons. Um, but to get because it's they're generally smaller businesses, they're quite cash based businesses. It's very difficult to actually if you're going to take on a, a take on because you know you can either open a, a open a, open a new business from scratch or you can take on one. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know don't you know my my uh, my dad always used to say never believe uh, only believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. Yep, absolutely. Awesome stuff. This is a great first half of the interview. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. 
We are back. And the first question I have for you is what are your it factors, habits, traits, characteristics you believe most contribute to your success? And we'll start with ladies first. <laughs> That's a really difficult one. I think um, traits, uh, between, well, between the two of us, we, we're, we each have things that we were better than the other one. Uh, and the fact that we're a married couple, um, we have to know each other extremely well. I think organisation and delegation, and ha- all, both of us have our own uh, things to concentrate on so we don't overlap each other. Mm-hmm. So what would you say your specific uh, habit or trait? What do you bring to the table, Claire? Yeah, I, routines and processes and organisation. Oh, awesome. And what do you bring to the table, Uh well, having a brain fart, uh, two people. Andrew, I don't usually have to remember <laughs> two names. Sorry, Andrew. Well, I think it's that operational sort of robustness and energy um, and drive to, you know, get things better in the business. Um, and I'm also a little bit of a, a an IT geek as well. So if there's an opportunity to um, streamline something or... or uh, uh, you know, if there's a new gadget out there, you know, I, I'll, I'll have a go at that. So, you know, we, you know, we've, mm. um, we've started online ordering. We're one of the first in the town. We are the first in the town to, um, to have an online ordering app. So all those sort of things, we like to try, try little things out. So yeah, we're not afraid to try things out. I think. Awesome. And I think that makes us different is the fact that we've still got our coffee shop. So we're still trying things out and, and learning from the coffee shop so that we're current and up to date. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I can't help but think of uh, Gary Vanderchuk's words uh, in his book, I uh, think, Ask Gary V. He talks about uh, the difference between why people and how people or people who belong in the clouds and people who belong in the dirt. And uh, when you're finding your partnerships, when you're going to business with people, it's good to have that split of the person who's the why person. And it sounds like uh, you, Andrew, are the why person. Like you're really good at uh, the visioning, the uh, being an innovator, seeing opportunity, and understanding why it's important. And uh, you, Claire, seem like the person who likes to get their hands dirty and is good at making the, uh, you know, building out the end result. Like you're given the the why, and then you make it happen. Uh, you get yeah. your, Is that sound? Yeah, that sounds very good. I, I think I think um, working together, um, as I said, we, we've been married 29 years, uh, but um, working together, we had to have lots of ground rules. I think the, the female brain works different to the male brain. Um, I can multitask a lot, whereas Andrew likes to concentrate on one thing. And we also have to have time out. I mean, I, I, we go to bed, I wake up in the morning with the solution. And he'd wake up in the morning after having had a good night's sleep. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're both different, but we, we had to say, right, this time out now, we're, we're off duty now. Yeah, and I think uh, th- there's a very common mis, uh, d- or mis I don't know, uh, understanding or uh, a lot of people shy away from partnerships. They think that they're only trouble and that there's miscommunication. I think that, that as long as you have a clear uh, vision in your core values and your mission and everything's written down and clear and everyone's pulling in the same direction, you get it from day one. You understand where you want to go and you communicate that that vision. Uh, if you find the right partner, um, there it, it makes the job so much easier. It relieves the burden. Uh, it, it you know makes less work for everybody. And there's also that support factor. It's going to be hard 
You're going to have challenges and having someone else there to carry you through and to lean on. Like it, I, I can't imagine doing it by yourself. Uh, absolutely. But the, the key, as you've said, is to choose the right person. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I think we could probably beat this to death, but we got to move on. Uh, and I need to find a Claire in my life. So I'm single, ladies. If you guys are listening, I need a Claire in my life. I'm a Y guy. I'm looking for a how girl. Let's do this. All right. What is the biggest weakness you both have? Mm. Yeah, That's a tough one. How many we got? Crying me. He's got too many to mention. Um, I think. I think um, we just expect it to happen sometimes, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. So we get disappointed because we put a lot of effort into some stuff, and for whatever reason, it hasn't doesn't happen. Um, and um, you just got to keep on going back to it. Um, it just, you know, it, that that's that that we get depressed when things don't happen as fast as we want them to, mm-hmm. um, even though we put a lot of work into them. But we're not our customer, so you know we've got to find out what our customer wants. There's, you know, we can invent new products and do new lines for the shop. Um, uh, and you know new sandwich recipes and stuff like that and and, and and innovative product but sometimes we're a bit too innovative for our location mm-hmm. so you know you've got to give people what they want uh, and not expect to uh, change the world absolutely and i can't help but think of uh this one word which is patience and i feel like uh people in this industry naturally are you know, people are who are drawn to this industry are ambitious and very result orientated and they want to see progress and things take time. Things yeah. take, uh, you know, tr- you know, trial and error and uh, recognizing that your, your, your plan wasn't the best plan, but then regathering, having that optimism and just trying again until you get it right. Uh, so I think that's a common one. I really yeah, do. And, and learning and learning from your mistakes. Absolutely. And there's no, there's no point in making a mistake. If you don't learn from exactly. it. Exactly. I love it. So what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? For what? Sorry, Eric. Uh, leading others. Oh, leading others. Oh, well, don't do anything that you wouldn't expect to that you wouldn't be prepared to yourself. I love it. And give me an example of where you did something that kind of blew the expectation or, you know, really wowed the people that work for you. Well, I suppose it was uh, the Saturday I spent me and my daughter actually just went in there and stayed on the on the dishes all day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really, really busy Saturday. It was the same Saturday, not long after I got my iPhone with this health app that I'd done 10 kilometers and 70 sets of steps. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really, really busy day and we just stood, you know, we just stood there and cleaned the dishes and did the stuff that, that all the manual stuff, really the menial stuff that, that, um, they expected us to come in and, and lord over them. But no, we just got stuck in and, mm. and did that all day and we're absolutely knackered. But I think that just, well, actually that, you know, they're here to help us, not here to, to, um, you know, to, to, to tell us what to do. And I, and I think for me it was, um, we went skiing and Andrew broke his collarbone. <laughs> Very inconvenient. So I drove home on my own from skiing, um, 721 miles, I think. Uh, but it wasn't the driving home from skiing. It was the fact that he was incapacitated. So I then had to do both jobs. So I learned a great <laughs> deal. Um, I learned how to refurbish toilets. I plumbed hot, hot water taps in. I did a lot of DIY. I, 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 I refurbished all the CCTV Things that I'd never dreamt that I could possibly do, but with him telling me what to do, 
I could do it. And I had, I got a lot of satisfaction from, from doing all of that. Actually. That's awesome. But I bet you also had a lot, our uh, newfound appreciation for your partner. <laughs> yeah. it's my, my gadget man who's also the diy man is yeah. very good yeah, yeah. awesome so saying this, that was a bit of a turning point in our business actually i'd forgotten about that we you know because i broke my collarbone i suddenly was massively hands-on and then you know literally didn't have a hand to be on yeah because, uh, i couldn't you know i couldn't actually lift or move or do anything or for drive, about, or right. drive for six months for you know 12 weeks and that's just another so. great example of why it's so important to have these systems and processes and standards in place because you never know what's going to happen if something happens to you like you could get in an accident like your business will fall apart because of it because you won't it's, it's insurance that to, to go yeah. to those lengths to make sure your business can run without you there and I think that 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 was a, a turning point that we realized that we had to uh, delegate more to the team and we had to empower the team more so that if for any reason we had to step back for a couple of weeks through illness or what have you, everything would carry on without us. Yeah, and I think that's one thing when people when I talk about systems, processes, procedures, creating a system that doesn't need you there so you can go do whatever else you want to do in your life. I think some people say, well, I, I want to be there. Yeah. And I, I want to, to be a part of my restaurant. And that's great. That's good that you should want to be there. But things happen. And sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you need a break. Sometimes you have to go to a wedding. Like yeah. these are things that uh, if you don't create a business where you can't get away from it, you'll end up resenting it in the long run. Um, and you owe it to yourself. Um, and we're kind of diving off the topic of leadership now. But uh, I mean, all all things that stem from, uh, you know, what you say of just, uh, you know, the importance you write, you write about it in your book of having those centers and systems in place. Mm. Um, awesome stuff. So uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during an interview? Mm hmm. Well, I've I've got a little um, I've got a, I, I've got a little process I use for an interview really, which involves um, involves seeing how fast they walk. So I, I'll um, I'll sort of walk at a, a obviously you know if somebody's uh, got a disability, then we take that into consideration. But generally, I want people to see people got a spring in their step, and um, they they've got energy about them, and they smile. Um, those three things really. Um, are, are prerequisites uh, if they if they, if some unfortunately some people have got a naturally unhappy resting face <laughs> <I hear you. laughs> yeah and those those people aren't really suited for hospitality so i think but i think you've got to recruit for the, with the hospitality gene if some absolutely. you can you can you can teach people how to make coffee but you can't teach the hospitality gene mm -hmm. they've got to smile they've got to make eye contact they've got to enjoy you know enthuse give me a secret okay. show me give me something that like you will you know help us see that like is there a trick is there something you do to like try to draw that out of them how do you find it well we all of our guys when before they start the, the interview process you know always ends with a work sample and um you can tell an awful lot um you know in that in that time when they're 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 left alone with the team to to spend a, a, a do a do a dummy shift and, so a, uh, a stage, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and um, that generally, you know, straight away you can generally see mm. um, whether people are, um, you know, putting an act on in the interview or not. Um, but ultimately, it's not until you know they start with you, and you've 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 got to be, um, you know, quite honest with them, you know, and, and give them guidance. I think the biggest one of the biggest um, traps people fall into. Um, when they take new people on is that they um, assume they, they, they know everything in, in a week 
and then start telling them off or being horrible to them because they haven't been trained properly. Mm-hmm. Um, that person then motivation goes down the pan, and um, you know it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a it's 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 a vicious circle. Yeah, and they affect so, everyone else around them. They start yeah. bringing down other people so, too. You know, when you take new people on, it is a massive investment of your time. You need to make sure that they're tra- they're trained properly for the first sort of twelve weeks. What would you and, say? Like the most important part of that is like uh, where it's a massive investment of the time. But what's the one thing we can do to save ourselves or to put like a safeguard in there to protect our, to protect ourselves when it comes to hiring? Um, well, it is that it is making sure they smile. Yeah, I think it's just having that standard yeah. and uh, yeah. creating an avatar of the perfect employee, right? And yeah. not budging and not settling for anything yeah. but that. Yeah, and, and you know, no, don't take the first person who comes off the street. Yeah, no. easier said than done because sometimes you know we can get desperate. We need help. We need mm-hmm. a, but you really resist re- resist the urge. Uh, you're doing yourself. No, we, we've le- we've learned um, through through the years to to recruit properly. And if you recruit um, too hastily the wrong person, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks and it demoralizes everything. So it's worth choosing the right person or as right as you can be from the start. Mm. Absolutely. I love it. So uh, what is one current challenge, something you're dealing with right now, and how are you dealing with it? Well, we've had a um, – in our existing business, we've, we've had a um, coffee shop, a new rival open two doors away. In fact, one door away. Um, and we were growing really well before they opened and I expected us to, um, to struggle, but I've been pleasantly surprised how little they've affected us. Mm. Um, and you know, the work that we put in over the last 18 months marketing and building a, building a loyal following, um, has actually paid dividends, um, you know, to have, I almost expected to lose 25 to 30 percent of our trade, but we've lost none of our trade in truth. We're, we're still up on last year. So uh, putting the effort in to build that business up because I knew they were opening six months before. So we, we, we upped the ante a little bit and got, and, and got the business singing. Awesome. Um, and they've taken a little bit of our growth off us. But, um, you know, because we put that groundwork in and got, you know, done lots of work with getting new customers through Facebook advertising, doing, you know, um, PR, marketing, getting ourselves in the paper, doing a little bit of a refurb as well, um, all those things. So we're still, you know, we're still up against them and, you know, I don't think they're dead yet. Um, they're still, they're going to carry on. They're still trading um, and they're going to carry on trading. So, you know, they might actually get it right in a minute and give me give me a run for my money. But uh, I, I've just got to keep an eye on what they're doing, really, just to, to ensure that we're ahead of the game with them. You said something uh, really quick there that I just want to make sure the uh, listeners picked up on is you put a refurb in. You did a refurb. And that's one thing I picked up from your book that yeah. I think people fall short on often is they don't stay fresh. Um, yeah. And I think the fact that you timed this refurb at a time where this place was opening across the street gave people like, you know, they, they, it's something new, something different and the industry changes so fast. I'm not saying change your brand, but you want to give people an idea that you're still fresh, that you still got it, that you didn't, that you, you know, you don't want to lose your game. So can you talk to that real quickly before we move on? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's one thing that people independents tend to forget about, or they don't actually build it in their business plan. Um, they don't save enough, up enough money to, to do um, a refurb. You know, the big boys, you know, have it in their business plan. And, you know, sometimes you see them refurbishing the restaurants. You think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. 
um, but they know that if they don't, it goes downhill very, very, very quickly. So you know, we, um, you know, we our, our business, we you know, we refurbed it, you know, last December, um, and it had a a massive impact. You know, we were a little bit blind to it, I think. Um, what you, know, cause you, you you sort of put up with it. You know, you put up with the same old, same old. Yeah, uh, and then we sort of re, you know completely uh, refreshed it. Um, new tables, new chairs, new decor, and um, suddenly it's relevant again, you know? Yeah, exactly. And how often would you say you should schedule a refurb? Uh, anything between three and five years, no more than five. Mm. Awesome. Ideally three, ideally three Ideally years. three, really. I love it. Yeah, it needs to be in there as well. You know, you need to, it needs to be, people, it's a shiny, shiny object syndrome, isn't it? You know, people like new stuff. They like trying out new stuff and, you know. Yeah. Um, if if you keep yourself relevant, you know we're lucky. We you know we we go to the shows in London and and see what's going on at the festivals and and visit visit places, um, you know that have got great reputations and great design. And we just sort of borrow a bit of that and a bit of this and and um, br- bring it in, bring it in because we're in, we're in a town, sort of a provincial town in in the UK, about seventy miles outside London. Um, so you know it's a, it's an old market town it's it's you know it's uh, it's it could easily you know could easily run it as a tea shoppy and what percentage uh should you budget of your total gross what for for a refit yeah oh well, i think you probably need to put 5% away so you should delegate 5 or you know uh designate 5% of your gross profit yeah to go towards that uh, refit fund yeah triannually refit yeah, definitely. Love it. Definitely. Good stuff. Um, all right. So what is one thing besides food that your restaurants or your cafes do really well that separates you from other cafes? Well, we're um, we're passionate about coffee and famous for cake. So we, we just focus on the two main things, really. Mm. Um, you know, we do sandwiches and paninis and toasties and stuff like that and soups. But, you know, we we like to think that we're, um, you know, we are famous for our cakes. And um, how many other people do cakes in your, like, like I would say five... 10 mile radius oh loads okay <laughs> loads but you can't get our cakes there okay so yeah, I, I think what i'm like special. pick one thing um and do it really really well better than everybody else you can have other options but have that unique selling proposition have your your it your this is yeah. what we do yeah it's your hero product so you got something there that people can talk about mm-hmm. awesome great stuff uh and aside from the daily grind, which I think we hammered home, is totally worth picking up if you're opening any restaurant, not just a cafe. Uh, what is one book that's a must-read for anybody looking to open a restaurant? Well, we've already talked about the myth, but um, there's um, there's a couple uh, that we always recommend. Wake Up and Smell the Profit um, from John Richardson and uh, Hugh Gilmartin, the Coffee Boys. Um, they've got three three books, actually. And Setting Up and Manage Your Own Coffee Bar is another good one. Um, they, they are too, you know, they, before we opened, we, we, um, we bought those ourselves. What's one lesson that you took from that book that was a game changer from you? Um, know your numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a story in it. I think we mentioned it in our book, actually, the man in the brown suit, um, that, uh, John talks about, he was, um, in trouble in one of his businesses, he was turning over lots of profit, but didn't really know how much money. Uh, sorry, turning over lots of turnover, but didn't know, know how much profit he was making. Uh, this sort of uh, business um, angel came in, dressed in a brown suit and a big cigar, 
and said to him, you know, how much profit did you make yesterday? And John stood there and scratched his head because he didn't know. And the guy said, well, this, this is really simple. You know, it's, you know, how much did you open up with? How much did you buy? How much did you sell? Um, how much have you got left? Uh, and that's your, you know, and that's your profit. Mm. And John said, well, I can't do that. But, you know, ultimately, uh, knowing your numbers is, is, is the key. You know, without knowing your numbers, keep the handle on those, you are dead in the water, really, because you can have the busiest coffee shop in the world. Um, but, you know, not making any money. Um, it's really easy to open a coffee shop, but, you know, it's very difficult to open mm. one that makes money. Awesome. Great advice. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your cafe recently and how is it in improving operations? Is it making you more efficient, more profitable? Uh, and I know you're a technology guy, so I'm excited to hear what you got to say, Andrew. Well, we've um, we've signed up. We've start, we started doing um, online ordering. Uh, we've signed up with an app called Ordu um, and basically people can pre-order. So um, even though we're a small business, um, you know, you can you can use your iPhone and pre-book, pre-order, and get, and it's ready for you on your arrival. So we launched that a few months ago, and it's going well so hey, far. You said that's Ordu. Can you spell that? Ordu, yeah, A O R D double O. A O R D. Yeah, O O R D O O. Got it. Ordu. Cool. Yeah. Is that uh is that just in uh Europe or is that worldwide? Where, I think know? it's a start. They're a startup from Bath in the UK, um, but they are spreading quite 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 uh, quite. They've got some big big ideas, but it's a really simple, easy to use app, um, yeah. and um, you know it's all linked, so it, you can you can actually purchase on it, and it's um, you know linked to your credit card, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it, it it we've got the technology um, that you know Starbucks are using in their pre-order app. It's a similar sort of technology, but you know, as a small business, to be able to use that same sort of thing to have that edge uh, has really helped. The other the other thing that we've 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 got um, is something over here called Pelican Pie. Um, we have got a procurement specialist that do our buying for us, and part of the deal is that we get a back office system. Um, with them where all our invoices are online we can do stock takes we work out margins it can show us usage we can even do recipes and all that sort of stuff so that one thing has really sort of streamlined our business and it's you said it's called pelican pie yeah pelican pie Pe pelican with a pi uh, as in well, as in pi yeah pelican pie pi and, uh, you said that uh, you're are you delegating the ordering are you like are you putting that in someone else's hands uh, well, no, it's we still do the ordering, but it's um, it's all online. So okay. we don't have it. We don't, you know, we, traditionally in a coffee shop, you spend, you know, in any restaurant, you spend half the morning speaking to the three or four different suppliers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they, it, it automates the ordering process where yeah, you, where so you it's all online and it's all you telecom. click you click one button and it sends the order to all of your purveyors. There's no yeah, and there's no there's no missing invoices. There's no queries on prices. And uh, that that's strictly in the UK. Yeah, I think so. I think it's I think it's just in the UK, but it, it's absolutely brilliant because it's it's geared for big businesses, but where you know it also works for small businesses. Yeah, and you can you negotiate you you negotiate they negotiate for you. You say what you want. They come back with you with a couple of tenders from different different places, uh, and and so the prices are set. So you'd no longer have oh your milk is set at X, and then two weeks later they put the price up. Uh, it's set for a period. 
of say five months and then they renegotiate again and it also uh, enables the staff to order the correct items and not to go mm-hmm. off off grid and order something else that the supplier said oh this is a much better product have this one <laughs> yeah. and we don't want that one we want, want the one that we you know we've got on our order form well if you're in the uk check out pelican pie and if you're in the states where most of my listeners are and you're going gah why isn't anything like that in the states uh, i do know of one app that sounds very similar almost identical the way you're explaining it which is called uh blue cart so uh do check that out they've been a past guest and it's a, an incredible service so i'll have both those links in the show notes, uh, Pelican Pie and Blue Car, if you want to implement a system like that in your operation, just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 261. You'll find the links right there. With all the knowledge you have now, if you could go back to time, uh, 2007's the date or the year, and uh, you could give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Mm. Well, we Well, it would yes. be don't be a franchisee. Um, spend the time and the money that you invested buying the franchise to learn the business yourself Mm -hmm. get your why sorted out and start your own independent business if we we had our time again we'd have spent six months working in in the coffee industry getting all the knowledge we possibly could so we were aware of everything before we started oh wow i love that that's like one of my biggest pieces of advice when people say they want to open an industry or a restaurant is go work for somebody find out who the best of the best is in your community go volunteer and bust your ass and before long you'll you'll, if you really work hard they'll there'll be a job there for you and you can move up the ranks because there's really not that much ambition in the industry if you really have the passion and the talent you can become a gm quickly if you if you are loyal and hardworking, and you'll learn so much from that person and uh i mean there's just so many benefits to doing what you just said uh awesome advice and uh i, I have to admit something when i was reading the, the cover or the back cover of your book when i first uh, got it i saw that you were a franchise and i kind of was like oh no uh i didn't realize that you were anti-franchise uh <laughs> i just saw that word and i made an assumption but uh i tell me a little bit more as to why you think uh independence is the way to go yeah, well, it's you know, if you work for a franchise, then you are in their pocket, really, and you are just an extension of um, of the brand. Um, it's okay if you want, you know, if you want to be spoon fed everything, and you, you're not clear on what you want to do. But apart from that, um, there's a limit to how much you can earn as a franchisee. The whole point of being a franchise or is to limit the success of a franchisee, so that they work hard. So. Um, you know, there's a lot of inbuilt things in there. It's very difficult to get um, honest advice about franchisees, about franchises as well. So mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, you need to take some serious advice if you are considering that because it, you know, the franchisor won't tell you the truth. The franchisee that you're talking to is, is, is duty bound not to badmouth the franchisor. So even if you talk to an existing franchisee, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's impossible for them to say how bad it is. You're not going to be introduced to a... And people don't I, like to admit their mistakes either. They don't want to look like yeah. they made the wrong decision, so they're going exactly. to they're gonna twist it. And do you have anything to add to that, Claire? No, I think you said, said it as it is, really. We both agree on, on that. 
And, you know, what does it for me, why my passion is with the independent is I feel like there's a lack of self-actualizing work today uh, where we're all putting into, like as much as I pr- promote systems and processes and like as I, there's benefit to that. But I feel like a franchise is the extreme version of it and it doesn't leave any room for self-actualization, for uh, following your own course and expressing yourself through the work you do and giving back in a way that only, you know, that, that, that your heart tells you to do. You can't have those restrictions as a human being. You need to be able to sing and you know just like bask in your passion yeah. and uh that's why i think it's so important um so anyway that's just a side note uh <laughs> what is one question you think should be added to this interview <laughs> should have asked that before um well talk about um cafe success really well yeah i suppose um well, you did a- you did ask us a question, but we I don't think I answered it. Why did we write the book? Yeah, um, the the, um, the well the reason we wrote the book really was that we had so many people coming up to us uh, and asking us. It seems that everybody knows somebody that wants to open a coffee shop. Every time we go out to meet new people or you know talk go to networking events or whatever, everyone knows somebody that wants to open a coffee shop, and it's a lot of people's dream. And uh, consequently, we were being bombarded with people, literally, that wanted to, you know, to pick our brains. Can I pick your brains? Can I pick your brains? And I know, well, you know, perhaps we ought to make a business out of this because... <laughs> at, any, at any time, did it cross your mind that you don't want to give away your secrets and that if they want to be successful, go out and learn on your own? No, we, we didn't give our secrets away to people on our doorstep, put it that way. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> found out where they wanted to open first. <laughs> Well, the point that I'm trying to make is I, I noticed that a lot of people get worried when it comes to people coming to them for help or advice. And uh, the thing is, no matter how much advice or how much suggestions you give to somebody, what will make you successful uh, is the execution and the drive and how good you are to people. And there's a certain type of person that's successful in this industry. And you, and you can't, no matter what advice you give, no matter what direction you point people in, uh, there's they still got to execute. And and if they do execute and it does come around and you are there in their corner to mentor them, almost nine times, every time, nine times out of ten, that ability to help somebody else's dream come true, to help them accomplish something, will come back to serve you in a better way than a bad way. Uh, and that's just what I've learned from studying successful people. And I think you're just another shining example of that. So Perfect. awesome. Anything you want to say to that? <laughs> no, it's very good. You have to uh, write on the back of our next book for us. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I love it. So, uh, all right, let's wrap it up. We're going to wrap up every episode uh, by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire, uh, somebody who's just maybe crushing it in the UK that you think would be a great guest, and uh, let's get them on the show. Well, we, we've, we've, we've come up with one. Um, it's um, the Hospitality Entrepreneur. Uh, Peter Austin, and he is an expert in pubs in the UK and turning pubs around. And he has helped us greatly in our own business by giving us um, uh, uh, the ability to know our numbers and and to to actually focus on on our business. Uh, and we value his expertise. Awesome, Peter. Uh, you Austin, said Austin. Yeah. Austin, look out! I'm coming after you and i love that restaurant unstoppable is going worldwide this is great (laughs) so thank you for calling somebody out in the uk and let the folks at home know how we can connect with you if we want to uh, pick your brain if there's something you talked about in the show uh that just inspired them they want to learn a little bit more about that or maybe they want to pick up your book what's the best way to connect 
Well, you can uh, basically go to our website, cafesuccesshub.com, and um, sign up for uh, our, uh, our weekly blogs and uh, articles. There's loads of advice and help and hints and tips and resources on the, on the site. Um, obviously, our book's on Amazon, uh, available Anna, Anna's a Kindle. Um, and there is a separate, if you want to learn more about our book, there is a separate website for the book called the day, uh, called, um, dailygrindbook.com. Awesome. Uh, I will have all those links in the show notes and you have a new project you mentioned during the pre-interview chat that you want to mention that? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. No We've, um, we put together something called COGS, which is the coffee shop owners guest getting system. Um, and basically in our book, we talk about loads of ways of different mar- marketing um, the, uh, how it's worked for us and because it's quite complicated and quite in depth we've we've put a membership site together um called cogs and it's basically takes you through every single step um helps you set up your own guest getting system in your own coffee shop um as a step-by-step guide really Awesome. I'll have that link in the show notes as well. Again, this is restaurantunstoppable.com slash 261. Don't worry about writing all that stuff down. I got you taken care of. All right, guys, uh, that's it. You were incredible, uh, amazing guest mentors. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. Yep. Cheers, Eric. (laughs) Cheers. Well, there's another awesome episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, Some things that stood out to me today. um, Obviously, some amazing British accents. But other than that, uh, there was some great advice on finding the right partner for you and just finding somebody who's strong where you're weak. If you're a why guy, you need to find your how guy. If you're a how guy, you need to find your why guy. and just the whole idea of leading by example and uh, investing in staying fresh, as they call it, the refurbs. When they had that person move into their territory, their competition, they opened a cafe right across the street. They were able to stay fresh. And then by doing so, they were able to stay competitive. Um, just tons of great little nuggets of advice in this episode. Uh, like always, guys, i got to remind you to please continue to support the show. Uh, you, there's a ton of ways you can do it. Uh, just leave those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Connect with me on Facebook. Let me know what I can do or shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. That's Eric with a C. Shoot me an email. Connect with me. Tell me how I can make this show better. Tell me who you want to have on the show. I'll go get them on the show. Uh, tell me what you want to know. What are your challenges? I'll get an expert on the show to answer your questions and we can learn together. Uh, there's so many different things we can do uh, to just make this experience better for everyone. So do engage with me. Uh, and like always, uh, that 15 minute free chat with me if you need inspiration, if you need motivation, if you want help connecting with something or someone that you heard on the show. I'm here for you. Just head over to restaurantstoppable.com. You'll find the logo right there to set something up. And I guess that's all I have for you today. Like always, thanks for hanging out to the very end. And until next time, peace out.